Welcome to the Big Church Podcast. We are a church in Barrie, Ontario, Canada, and we hope you are blessed by this message. For more information, check out our website at bigchurch.cc. Um, today, I, I'm just going to... Uh, one of the words that came to me was the word constant. And I looked it up because constant... Um, I used to love science. Now, any of you that are really good at science, I'm taking it from a very minimal amount of knowledge, okay? (laughs) But the word constant in science or even in math, it means, like in science, if you did experiments, there were certain things that you knew would always be this outcome. They wouldn't change. And that was called a constant. So when you were doing experiments or anything, if it was something that you didn't understand or it was something new as an outcome, you would look back at, okay, this is the constant. This never changes. So what brought the change? And so I've been meditating on that because one thing that God says, he says, fix your eyes on me. And in such a time as this, this is the time that we need to really fix our eyes on Jesus. Because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And one thing with it, with, and this is why, is because he never changes. He is always the same. You know, the same Jesus that way back in history, and in any culture, any civilization, he's always the same. He doesn't change. He's the constant. Our societies may change. The way we do things may change. Different nationalities do different things, different ways. But God is always the same. And that is what we can take hope in. We can take, we can put our entire life in his hands, knowing that he will never change. He is always that constant in our lives, regardless of what we see going on. And so today is not a brand new revelation. I'm just wanting to encourage and to build up your most holy faith. I want to stir us up in our most holy faith today. Because we need that sometimes, right? So mamas with little ones. This is a, this is a message God gave me while I was doing devos with my grandbabies. We were watching a cartoon on this story, and then we talked about it, and I was meditating on it for the rest of the day, and this is what God gives out of it. So, mamas, we're not even limited to thinking that we have to isolate ourselves and just get God to speak to us this way only. He, he says that he gently leads those with young. So I just want to encourage you mamas with little ones, or your daddies that are at home. Well, I think a lot of the daddies are at home now, too. And I want to encourage you, when you take the life lessons, even as you're doing, God is always speaking. Amen? All right. So, Acts 27. I'm only going to, I'm going to read this account. It's about Paul. Paul, we know, was a, a man of God that was going out, and he was preaching the gospel. He was giving the message. And you know what? It's funny 
but they didn't like his message. They didn't like what he had to say, and they wanted to kill him. You know, sometimes in today's society, we, we kind of think that, you know, everything we have to say is wonderful, and it is. It's the good news, but we're surprised when people aren't so pleased, right? But that's not, that's not up to us. Our thing is that we need to present the gospel because there's power in it, like we heard um, Pastor Bill say last week. But let's turn to Acts 27, and it's about Paul, because God had told Paul, you're going to go to Rome, because I want you to talk to Caesar. Now, even the, the centurion, he's like, you've done nothing wrong that warrants you even to go to Rome. This is more just a theological thing that your own people are having a problem with. You don't even really need to go to Rome as a prisoner. But God had a plan right? He had a plan. And with that, he ends up, he, he sets sail for Rome, because he's a Roman citizen. And we'll start at um, Acts 27. I'm going to kind of briefly read through it quickly, so you might have a little bit of a time following it, Aaron. So we'll start off with um, verse 5. So they're on the boat, and it says, when we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. And see, there's, there's a, a storm starting. And it says, and we made slow headway for many days, and we had difficulty arriving off Sidious. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salome. Solomon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Now, I grew up as a sailor. My dad had a sailboat, and actually, when uh, we became teenagers, my dad actually wanted to build a big boat and sail around the world for take a year-long trip and, and do that as a family. And uh, my sister and I did not like that idea. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> do that dream when we're out of the house. <laughs> and uh, so with sailing, I've been in, um, on Georgian Bay and Simcoe, and sometimes we've been in storms. I mean, we would go sometimes for two, three weeks out on and live on our boat for the summer holidays. And you would hit some bad storms. But nothing like what these guys had on ocean storms. But I wanted to read this account because it gives a very visual picture of what's happening here. And sometimes we forget that... Not everything is easy sneezy, right? And we're, we act surprised when life for us isn't easy sneezy, right? And, and we get the blues. And we think that, that we're doing something wrong. And while well, God's not in it, you know, there are storms that come just because the world has storms that come. And, and this is a good example of what 
people of God do in the midst of them. So it says here, much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because now it was after the Day of Atonement. So the winds are starting to get bad. And with sailing, it's not like a powerboat that you can just jump in, point to your destination, and go. With sailing, you have to go with where the wind is taking you. And if you're wanting to go in the opposite direction of the wind, you have to tack back and forth, back and forth, to try and get there. But what's happening is the wind is starting to pick up too strong that you can't even do this anymore. So they're having to make a decision. So now they're saying, so Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach uh, Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor and crate facing both southwest and northwest. So the majority decided. We're hearing a lot of different majority things right now. This is what the majority is saying, and so we do what the majority says. And in this time, we have to look at Let's major on the majors, minor on the minors. And the major is that Jesus is Lord. That's the major. And I fix my eyes on him. And a wonderful thing that I see happening with the body of Christ is that we can all have our part to play. And I'm going to show you in this story how it's, it's not even big things that make a big difference. So this is the storm. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they're like, okay, this is a small wind. We can grab this thing and go. I remember one time in, in uh, Simcoe, we hit a, there was a bad storm coming. And uh, we were caught out in it. And so my dad dropped my mom and my younger sister off because she had to get the car. And my dad and I decided we would sail it because it was blowing in the right direction, back to where we, we keep our boat. And we would try to race out the storm. It was one of my best sailing trips ever, because literally it was like huge waves all behind us, and we were right in front of the storm. And we went so fast that we even beat my mom, who was in a car, in our destination to get there. That's how fast we went. So this is what these guys are doing. They're, they're saying, okay, we're going to be able to catch this wave. We're going to be able to catch this wind. So they weighed an anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. And before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. And the ship was caught by the storm, and it could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. You know, when that wind came, it was so strong that it, there was no use in trying to go and use it to get to your destination. Now, it's like, all right, now we just have to let the wind take us, and when the storm's over, we'll figure out where we are and go from there. 
You know, sometimes in life, those kind of storms come up and they hit you. And it's like, we just want to fight it through, fight it through. And it's like, no, we got to step back and let's look at the constant. The constant is Jesus. He says, as we passed to the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it abroad, aboard. And then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they, they would run aground on the sandbars. Now, I've ran aground on sandbars before, and that is not good because your boat gets stuck and you aren't moving. And in a storm, if you're running in on a sandbar, it, that waves alone will tear your whole boat apart. I remember one time we came and we were in the middle of a storm, and uh, we ended up coming into Oro, which is where my grandmother lived, and we had to try and dock, and it was so bad of a storm that my dad got my mom and us girls, and we had to walk up to my grandmother's and sleep there. And then my mom went back down, and my dad and mom had to literally stay up all night and try to keep the boat from smashing up against the dock and try to keep the boat from crashing into the rocks. And when we went into that area where the dock was, there were several boats that had already just been totally all ripped apart. They were just like fiberglass everywhere. That's how bad that storm is. But this is even more. So this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to put ropes under it to keep, to strengthen it so that they're not going to have this thing fall apart if they end up falling into these sandbars. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. Now, I want us to li listen to the different times that anchors are used, because I'm going to bring that out in my message in a bit. Sometimes when you're going, you drop your anchor to try and slow you down even. It's not just to secure your boat, but it's to slow you down and to give you more security even as you're going. It says, and we took a violent, such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So they're getting rid of everything that's needed to get rid of just to try and continue to save their lives. Because in a violent storm, everything is being tossed. Everything is being thrown about. And it gets very dangerous. You get hit with those things. It's also, when you start dumping things, it brings your boat up further so you don't draw as much water. So if you come closer to sandbars, you might have at least a bit of a chance not hitting ground because you're up higher. You know, sometimes I think when we go through storms, even with COVID, that's one of the things that I look at is the things that are being thrown overboard. There are unnecessary weights that you and I have carried that is time to say, yeah, you know what, that needs to go. 
Yeah, that's not needed. That needs to go. And we don't realize how many things we collect. And some of them are just, they're not bad things, but they're weighing us down. God says to cast those things aside. He says, cast every weight that hinders you. So I believe that this time and season that we're in is a time when we can say, all right, you know what? This is a storm, but this is time for us to start throwing some of those unnecessaries over. And we'll live through it. We'll get through these things. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Now look, at that is such a bad storm that they're not even seeing the sun, the moon. They're not seeing stars. They're not seeing nothing. I remember sometimes in bad storms, the waves are crashing over the boat so much that all you can see is water. That's all you see in your eyes is water. You're not, you're not even able to see land because the rain is pelting down so heavy. I can only imagine what it would be like in an ocean with hurricane weather. It says, they had finally gave up all hope of being saved. But where's our hope? And you know what I love about Paul? Is he's in the midst of all of this. But Paul is secure. Paul's having to live through all of this with them, but he's secure. It says, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Isn't that such a loving God? And he didn't just save Paul. He didn't let the whole thing go down and somehow miraculously just save Paul. He said, Paul, because you're on this ship, I'm not only going to save you, but I'm going to show mercy and save the entire ship of people. You know what that was? That was a ship full of prisoners. A ship full of prisoners. And God had mercy and love and compassion and said, Paul, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you're going to lose the boat, but I'm going to save you because I, it's important that this destination gets done. And I want you in Rome. Then he says, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. You know, this is, a, this is a shipwreck story that we're hearing. But you know, if you look in um, Corinthians, he talks about as many trials that he had. He had like five different times he was shipwrecked. We don't hear all of them. We get details of this one. He was left for dead and beaten with rods. And uh, so many times he had to escape and suffer trials and persecution. 
And yet he still kept continuing, regardless of what the circumstances and the situations were that he was facing. He kept that constant in front of him, which is Christ. On the 14th night, 14, two weeks. Can you imagine going through this two weeks? Not just a few days, two weeks. I know when you're in a storm, you start getting nauseous. You get so nauseous because everything's rolling and tossing and turning. These men, they're not even eating. I says, they were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when at about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. There they are, dropping more anchors to try and slow this thing down. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Ah, now he has their attention. See, it went from, okay, the majority rules, we're not listening, to now we need courage, and the only guy on this boat that has anything hopeful is coming from Paul's mouth. And now he has their attention. And when he says, if you leave... And what do they do? They listen. They take heed, and they cut the lifeboat. This is the voice that we have as believers. See, I, I believe God's wanting that army to raise up. He wants us to rise up. And it's not just one or two people. It's the whole body of Christ rising up and speaking and declaring in the situation that you are in. In your situation, at that given time. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, this I love, this I love this part. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. See, he's giving them hope. He's putting courage into them. He can only get that because he's getting it from the Father. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. Listen to this next part. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. That must have been some grace. <laughs> right? I, I think about that. I think, like, even just grace gave those men courage to, okay, let's eat. Let's do this. We're going to live. We're going to survive. This, this man here, I don't know his God, 
But he sure seems to be confident. He sure seems to trust that he's going to come out of this, and so are we. And altogether, there were 276 of us on board. And when they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. And when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and they made for the beach. So now they've decided, okay, we're going to lose the boat but we're going to save our lives. We're close enough to shore. Let's cut everything loose. Let's put the sail up, and let's aim for this sandbar. Let's get as close as we can to this. And off they go. Then they hoisted uh, and made for the beach, but the ship struck a sandbar, and it ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move. And the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. So they hit a sandbar before they got to the beach, and the whole boat just got torn to bits. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. And in this way, everyone reached land safely. And then it goes on to say how when they got to the land, the people showed, uh, uh, um, it says, kindness to them. And had a fire and everything, like in Malta. And then what happened is we, we know a serpent came out of the the fire, and bit Paul. Now those people on the island knew that that serpent kills you. And Paul just took it and threw the serpent in the fire. He says, I'm okay. And the, all of the, the people in Malta, they thought, hey, this, this goddess justice is out to get Paul because he must be a murderer. So he, he was saved from the ship, but now he's going to die because of a goddess of justice. And God took that as an opportunity to say, wait a minute. No, I serve the most high God. I serve the living God. He is with me. And he was completely fine. He didn't get sick. Then they ended up going to the chief. And he was sick and he received healing. And everyone who was sick on the island came forward and received prayer. See how God just kept opening doors. What was, what was his mission? His mission was to get to Rome. But I'm sure Paul didn't see all those things in between. What kind of things are you in the in-between? What are the in-betweens in your life? Sometimes we get the picture of where we want to be. We even get a word from God where he sees us, where we're going to be. But it's the process of getting us there. And all those things that are coming against. 
one after another after another after another. And instead of singing the blues, Paul is giving courage. He's giving uh, the word of God to uh, an entire uh, probably people group of Malta. He's, he's evangelizing the whole way. Why? Because the constant is Jesus. Our constant in our life, just like in Paul's life, just like in David's life, just like in Stephen's life, just like in the disciples' life, that constant is the same constant in yours and my life, and that's Jesus. He's the author and he's the finisher of our faith. Now, for the bad news. But I'm telling you, I'm going to end it on good news. 1 Timothy 1, 19. He says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. So we don't need to experience shipwreck. We don't need to experience it. He's saying, hold on to faith and a good conscience. Let's turn to Hebrews 6, because I'm going to show you how to hold on. There are so many different things that are out there right now that are trying to take the body of Christ. And it's like, no, we don't have to come under those, those same rules, those same thinkings. You know, I remember uh, we had a boat, and uh, one night... Greg uh, uh, anchored it. He had Andrew and Greg were out with one of Andrew's friends and they stayed overnight on it. And they anchored it at one end of um, Kempenfelt Bay. But he didn't put the anchor in secure enough. And by morning, they had drifted all across the bay. Uh, praise God they didn't hit anything or another boat. And when they woke up in the morning, they're at the other side <laughs> You know, but it makes me think of sometimes how we become shipwrecked with our faith is because we've fallen asleep and our anchor has let go. And we just slowly drift, right? We slowly drift. And God doesn't want us drifting. You know, sometimes we think it's just the storms that take us out. But sometimes just falling asleep and letting loose on your anchor also causes a shipwreck. Hebrews 6, this is good. He's talking about the certainty of God's promise for us. You know, you may, you may say, I don't know this Jesus. I don't know who you're talking about. He's the living God. He's the son of our heavenly father. And he came and he died on the cross for our sins. 
And then he was raised again on the third day. And when he was raised again, it says that he defeated death. He paid the price of our sin. He paid that price for us. This is the living hope that we have is Christ. In Ephesians 6, 17, so this is what he's saying. He says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs, say, that's me, of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this. God did this oath because of this. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, it's impossible for him to lie. So everything that we read in this word is true. Because it's impossible for him to lie. It doesn't matter if we're in a storm. It doesn't matter if it's of hurricane weather. It doesn't matter what circumstances are battering at you. It doesn't matter if you haven't seen sun and stars for days or months or years. Right, Shelby. It says, God, um, two unchangeable things. It's impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. See, this is our anchor of hope. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Listen, it, it's an anchor of hope for our soul, firm and secure. When we hold on to Christ, we are firm and secure in him. Those things, see, that's what Paul had. Paul, even in the midst of hurricane weather, when everybody thought, we're done, we're over, he had that secure and firm anchor of his soul. And he, we can enter the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. See, God is not unreachable. He's not somewhere where you and I can't ever get close to him. He says, come near to me, and I'll come near to you. His desire is that we come near to him, because his desire is that we come, and he comes. This is a verse. This is, this is a verse that um, in 2 Samuel 14, 14, I don't know if I gave that one to you, Aaron, but it says, all of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, this is what he does, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. That's who our God is. Now, if God's devising ways, do you think those ways are? will be accomplished? Do you think his ways would be effective? Do you think his ways would not be weak? They would be 
strong. Because that's who our, our God is. It says it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered. On what? On our behalf. See, he has a purpose. He is sitting beside our Heavenly Father, but he is still alive today. And his purpose is he was a forerunner, and he's there on our behalf. What an anchor. What an anchor we have. We do not need to ever feel like we've lost hope. We can come into that inner sanctuary. That's why it says in other verses, it says that we can come boldly into the throne of grace. That's why in other places it says that I am seated in heavenly places with Christ. Because we've been given access to come as close to him as we desire. Isn't that wonderful? I love God. He's, he, he has made every provision. Then in Hebrews 7, verse 21, if you read all of 7 and 8, it's really got a lot, but for the sake of time, I, I'm just going to skip along here. It says, But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. And because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Amen? Because he always lives to intercede for them. That's you and me. He is alive today, and he is always interceding for you and I. He has our best interest at hand. But not in a humanistic way. In a humanistic way, we have said, okay, God, your what I desire from a God is that you make me happy, you give me stuff, you make me pleased, I feel comfort. I feel comfortable, I should say, not comfort. But God says, I'm God, and I'm interceding on your behalf. And you are for my good pleasure. See, I don't want to serve a God that I can control. I want to serve the living God who is bigger than me, who is bigger than my thoughts, who is bigger than my courage, who is bigger than my strength, who is bigger than my weakness, who is bigger than my failures. I want to serve God who is able that's who we serve. He's the living God. And I don't want it my way. I want it his way. And, you know, God is calling the body to rise up and start maturing, start growing up. It's time for us to grow up and, and stop demanding our own ways in everything and start getting into the inner sanctuary and listening to what our Heavenly Father is saying and desiring to please Him because He's God and He is worthy. 
Our life is a blink. But we can choose how we live that. And I want to choose to live surrendered. And I do what I can do. And you do what you can do, saints. And when the whole body does that, it becomes strong and flourishes. It's not the when I do, it's now. Just like we saw with Paul. <laughs> All these people were losing hope. And he's like, you guys, you got to eat. Now watch. God, I th what kind of prayer did he pray? I don't think it was religious at all. I think they just saw that this guy really knows God. And then he ate. And it gave them courage to eat. We can do that. Stephen was the first martyr. Stephen wasn't the preacher. Stephen was the, the man serving tables. But he was so full of God. They got angry. I love that poem that Trish wrote. It's beautiful. It's those things that make the body of Christ flourish and healthy and strong. It's not all the big things, people. It's all the little things that all of us are doing on a day-to-day. -day. Where was I? I'm getting off track. Sorry. He has a, okay, what, did I read this part? Hebrews 7, 23? Okay, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them, Amen. Such a high priest truly meets our need. He truly meets our need. You know, in another part it says, like, I've already given you my life. I've already paid for your sin. I, I gave you everything that I was. I died on the cross for you. What, what more can I give you? I've given you everything freely. My riches are stored up in heaven for you. Receive them. Because I've, I've already given you salvation. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Constant. That's our Jesus. He has not changed. We can take hope. We can take courage in who he is. He says, I am your deliverer. I am healer. I am your provider. I am the beginning and the end. I am the Redeemer. I am the Restorer. 
what aspect of Christ do we need to receive? Because this is who he is. This is who he is for us. He's saying, draw me. Come into that inner sanctuary with me. Let's turn to Ephesians 1. This is my last verse, and then we're going to worship. I love that song that we sang about um, filling his temple. Holy, holy. Ephesians 1, and we'll start at 17. Now, this is Paul. Okay, the guy that went through all the shipwrecks, not just one, like five, who'd been beaten, left for dead several times, been imprisoned, escaping, all of these things. This is the guy. So he's writing, of course, because he's inspired by the Holy Spirit because it's the Word of God. But this man has lived through all of those things. And this is what he's writing to you and to me. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And this is what I've been praying over our body. This is what I've been praying over the church. God, give us your wisdom and revelation. Why? Not so we can be smarty pants. Not so we can be amazing and accomplish much. It's because I want us to know him better. I want to know him better. I remember at one point in my life, I was so busy with the things of God. So, so busy. Working all through the week, and evenings all full, and then we started weekends where we were doing all these breakthrough weekends. And they were wonderful, and all of those things were good. But I got so physically exhausted, I ended up with shingles. And I was only 35. And I took it to prayer. And I'm like, God, this is horrible. And what, what can you do? And he called me Martha. He says, you've been busy with many things, but only one thing is needed. And that is to draw me and to take time with me. And so my prayer is this, is that we would know him better. And then he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. We need to know the hope to which he has called us. You know, when you read the end of the Bible, things get worse, not better, before he comes. And we need to run to the constant of Jesus, because he never changes. In a world that will see many changes from now to the end of this world, there'll be many changes. And in order to get through them, just like Paul got through his, is that we need to keep our eyes on the constant, which is Christ. Keep our eyes on him. Keep our focus singular, because he is worthy to be praised. And when all those things just kind of fall on the wayside, 
we can constantly love on him. He says, so we need to, may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Oh, and I love this part. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. Is that incomparably great power at work in you? Yes, yes it is. It is because when we receive Christ, he's our hope of glory. He's our hope. And that incomparably great power is flowing through you and I. And we are able to walk in his fullness. We may not know how to pray right away. We may not know anything about him when we first come to Christ. We've all been there. Some of us were young and some of us were old. But he gets us. And that incomparably great power dwells in you and me. And it's him. It's not us. So regardless of what kind of a, a day or a week or, or even years that you may be experiencing, that incomparably great power, we, we can allow him. And so it's surrendering. It's coming to him with all of it and surrendering it to him. And the thing I love about God is he never asks you to do something that's impossible. He always gives you one little step. And that little step is where we get tripped up. Because a lot of times it comes at our pride. It makes us have to become humble. It makes us have to repent or apologize or all of those things that kind of make us just think, I don't want to let that down. But when we do those small things, we experience freedom. We experience this freedom. And those things that we need to be set free of, we can't set ourselves free of, but he's our deliverer. He knows how to set us free. That's who our God is. I remember when I was anorexic as a young teen, I had just gotten on fire for God. And every night before bed, I'd pray, God, set me free. Help me to be able to eat again. And then I'd go to bed. And I had lots of health issues because of it. You're dizzy all the time. You have no energy. You get really bad kidney infections, all sorts of things. And then one day when I went to just pray like I always prayed, all of a sudden God said to me, you will never have to deal with this again. And instantly delivered me of it. And I felt that thing just totally leave. That's who our God is. I couldn't do that on my own. I tried. You know what little step he gave me? Thank me for the victory, is what he told me. He says, every meal, I want you to eat. Every time you there's a meal, I want you to eat. Breakfast, lunch, and supper. And I would start. I would. It took six months. 
I would eat and my body would refuse it and I'd throw up. Because I did not want food at all. Food had become my enemy. And I'd be crying in the bathroom, just bawling my eyes out, thinking, this is not victory. And then I'd have to, God, I thank you for the victory. I thank you for the victory, God. I thank you that you set me free. I felt like I was failing every meal. But one day, that totally broke, and I was set free. It's like that with everything that we receive from him. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That same mighty strength that raised Christ from the dead. See, when you're dead, you didn't help God with any of it. You're dead. And Christ knew he could give his life completely into his Father's hands and that even death couldn't hold him there. He knew that his Father, his Heavenly Father, had the power and the ability and the strength to be able to raise him even without anything from him. Raise him from the dead. That's who our God is, people. That's our God, our living God. He's not a fairy tale. He's not just a, a, let's think about this so we can have our heads in the clouds and not face life. He's an ever-present help. And that incomparable power flows through you and me. So what is it that we need to receive from him today? Let's just close our eyes and worship him for a minute. Thank you, Jesus. And you at home, I want to pray for you too. Let's all put our hand on our heart. God, we don't come to you with persuasive words or eloquent speech or we just come to you freely knowing that we have your incomparable great power Christ in us the hope of glory I thank you that your that hope in you is our anchor and that we are secure I thank you God that you devise ways for those that are separated from you, you are devising ways and plans to bring them to you, Lord. I thank you that your greatest plan is that you brought Christ. 
and that even when we didn't know you, even when we were your enemy, even when we were sinners, you saved us, Lord God. You paid that price. And I thank you for that, Lord Jesus. And I thank you that because you gave us your life, God, you held nothing back. You gave us everything. So God, I desire to be someone that gives you my everything. God, I give you it all. Oh God, I give you my family. God, I give you my inheritance. God, I give you my future. give you our work. God, I give you my life. Do what you please, Lord God. God, it's not about me, it's about you. God, let us be like John the Baptist who said, I must decrease and he must increase. That you increase in us, Lord God. Continue, God, to just shine brighter in us, Lord. We trust you, Jesus, with our families. We trust you with our lives. I thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that this message has truly blessed your life. For more information, go to bigchurch.cc.